Hello, Neil. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. It's the Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy. Hello and welcome to Popcorn Digest. I'm your host, Gareth Green, and joining me as always is my full-time co-host, Agent Andrew Raphael. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) And today it is the last of our Best Forgotten Movies flashbacks. I know, I know, it's the end of an era. The end of an era. As uh, we are actually going to be releasing our review of not one Matrix sequel, not three Matrix sequels, but two Matrix sequels. (laughs) So yeah, I guess we should say a little bit about why this episode wasn't released. I guess that falls to me again, because really, the episodes that we didn't release from this era were, were my fault. This was one of the episodes that we recorded and promised following the Chronicles of Riddick. Was it? This was supposed to follow Incredible Hulk. Oh, was and it? And we missed that. And then I think you did Warcraft to try and time with the DVD or Blu-ray release of Warcraft. That whole period is just very muddled. We ended up with a lot of episodes that were released in the wrong order. And like, yeah. yeah. So it just sat on the shelf for quite a significant amount of time. But I'm glad to say that we're releasing it today. Yeah. So finally, from my lips to your ears. Yeah. But um, without further ado, here comes our Matrix episode. It's the best forgotten movie! Hello and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, the podcast dedicated to the black sheeps of cinema. I'm your co-host, Elite Hacksaw, Gareth Green, and joining me, as always, is my full-time co-host and part-time Johnny Mnemonic enthusiast, Andrew Phillips. I just love how anonymous it is. (laughs) And for our latest episode, we're jacking into a world filled with well-choreographed fight scenes, mind-bending philosophies, and tear-inducing disappointment. No, we're not talking about a night out with the in-laws, but the Wachowski movie series, The Matrix. Roll the trailers. Here we go. Hiya, fellas. It's him. Do we proceed? Yes. You still only human. All of our lives, we have fought this war. Tonight, I believe we can end it. That's a nice trick. Huh. Upgrades. program smith has grown beyond your control you cannot stop him but i can and if you fail i won't do you know what happened to neo he is trapped in a place between this world and the machine world bring me the eyes of the oracle then i will give you back your savior Mr. Anderson, who are you? Look past the flesh and see your enemy. It's impossible. Not impossible. Inevitable. (laughs) Join us for the first episode on which we discuss not one, not two, but three films as we take on the entire Matrix franchise. God help us all. 
Following the success of The Matrix, the Wachowskis returned to our cinema screens with The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. Two sequels filmed back-to-back for half the price, but twice the disappointment. (laughs) So why have we nominated the entire Matrix series for consideration on Best Forgotten Movies? I mean, first off, we have to talk about why we're not just doing one of these films, why we're tackling the entire franchise, or I guess probably more uh, specifically the sequels yeah, yeah and why we have picked them in general anyway do you want to take the lead on that one or uh no because this is your call oh yeah th- <laughs> this was one of my episodes wasn't yes, it this it is. Was, uh, well i thought with ready player one recently being released that it would be a good time to start looking at another kind of vr related simulated world movie and well there were a few from the 90s like johnny mnemonic was another one that spoke to me and i mean there are obviously internet-based movies or hacker-based movies like hackers or the net that probably deserve being looked at but i think one of the strongest ones that spoke to us were the matrix sequels because although they were a success in terms of money they were probably as big a disappointment at the time as the Star Wars prequels for that fan base. Yeah, yeah. And um, I thought it was a good time to actually approach that and probably revisit these movies because I have mixed feelings about them in general, but I kind of bounce between thinking that there's something there that's salvageable and something there that's like just utterly disappointing. And from viewing to viewing, I kind of keep bouncing back and forth about whether or not I like them or not. Yeah. I think it's also appropriate as well that it's actually... It makes me feel incredibly old now, but it's almost the 15th anniversary of the release of Reloaded. No, as it is well. as well, yeah. yeah. And also next year it'll be the 20th anniversary of the original release. And uh, yeah, it's funny when you think about how new and funky the Matrix were, they do feel like now, like very traditional films, like yeah. they're shot on film, it's quite yeah. grainy, the titles are wobble around like they do on film. Yes, and, yeah. and yeah, it does feel quite quaint now it's bizarre because back then they were so new and different and yes. wild and now they feel very kind of quite cozy yeah <laughs> these days that in terms of the way that films are made has developed so much since then and films have become so awash with cgi in yeah. which um, these films kind of lay the tracks for in a way yeah but also even re-watching the first film in the series the most successful film in the series the one that i love the most i think it's a legitimate masterpiece of a film mm. even watching that it feels of a time and a place and like you say for a film that felt so radical at the time it's weird to now look at it and it feels i wouldn't say dated but it does feel like cinema has progressed beyond it and i would say as well the way in which it approaches things like the central ideas of cyberspace and the internet and stuff like that. It's like, it came out at a time when the general populist understanding of what the internet is was changing. And this film capitalized on that in a big way. And because it kind of tapped into both like the fears and philosophies behind all of this and suddenly everybody's interconnected and you can speak to anybody in the world despite wherever they live and all this. It's like, oh, that was brand new at the time and this film really capitalizes on it. And now... It feels so commonplace. Yeah, because really we're, all we're doing in this episode is comparing two movies because yeah. you have to deal with the sequels as it was made as one big long movie. Story-wise, it's one big long movie. Yes, yeah. So you're really contrasting two different films really because you've got two production periods and everything. Obviously, you've got all the cool action stuff, the interesting visuals, 
the Eastern philosophy and musings on technology as well. But another reason for its success is that it is a solid and very, very traditional hero's journey story. Yes. Which is a very good jumping off point mm-hmm. for an audience to get invested in this world and the situation and its characters because it's, you know, it's something familiar. Yeah. It succeeds in the same way that Star Wars succeeded mm-hmm. back in 1977 because it, it does use that structure to yes. its advantage. It does have an element of that farm boy-esque yeah. um, hero's yeah. journey as from Star Wars. I've always likened The Matrix to Star Wars in terms of structure and in terms of the story in which it tells but i would say as well much like star wars the complexities are layered in the surrounding world in the peripherals yeah but the story itself the emotional journey is very simplistic yeah because it almost uh satirizes that aspect of the film because the character like literally goes down the rabbit hole. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They really could have made no bones about it in a way, yeah. Um it's a very well made, streamlined and focused film that's actually it's not a massive budget film. Mm -hmm. It is quite small, but very focused and very well done. Yes. And it's interesting to note as well, for me personally, when I first saw the film, I didn't like it. Oh really? No. It took me a long time to come round to it and appreciate it for what it was because I, I think because it was so different at the time yes. especially in terms of how it used kung fu and everything i wasn't a massive action fan in that sense when i was younger yeah so those parts of it actually kind of put me off at the time i loved sci-fi i loved all those elements to it but when they started fighting it kind of switched me off yes i i would say although i didn't respond negatively when it was first released this film was my introduction to martial arts movies because before this film, they weren't part of my life at all, really. Mm. Whereas I imagine that people watching it would have been raised on like um, Enter the Dragon, the Bruce Lee movies and all all that kind of thing, Iron Monkey and all the Hong Kong movies as well. Yeah, exactly. This was the film that introduced me Mm. to this entire area of filmmaking, of cinema. So I've always owed this film that. Yeah, And um, I've always had a fondness for it because of that as well. But even watching it now, I think my appreciation for this film and the structure of it and how it's made has done nothing but grow. Yeah, yeah. It's not diminished. Grows in stature. Yeah, because this film feels like a film that every story point, every scene, every beat in the film feels like it's deliberate, it's been thought about, it's been structured everything flows into each other and you get to a point even in terms of the action in terms of the scale of action and the growing of stakes i think it's one of the perfect action films from start to finish barring the final shot which i've never liked of neil flying into the sky i never liked that it's funny in a way because like the last shot of the matrix encapsulates the sequel it does it tells you exactly where we're going to go that's that's where it all starts going wrong goes downhill from that last shot onwards yeah it's a really streamlined and focused film there's no fat on there no it does exactly what it needs to do and yeah as we'll go on when we talk about the sequels because they are almost the antithesis of yeah what makes the original Matrix so good and well-liked and why it will continue to be not forgotten because it's strange that we are even talking about the Matrix on Best Forgotten Movies because out of so many of the films that came out in that time period, the Matrix is still one of those ones that people still talk about. Yes. But in the same breath, the Matrix sequels, they are very forgotten now. Like considering the amount of hype and 
buzz surrounding them when they came out, which was almost on sort of Star Wars prequel level. Mm-hmm. When the sequels came out, it was almost like the perfect age for me. Yeah. Because we were like, ooh, that's sort of 15, 16. Yeah, we were, yeah. That was it. I mean, I think I must have been about 15 years old. Yeah, yeah I'd say that. And I still remember to this day the f- going to see both The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions at the cinema. I went to see Reloaded the first day it came out, and I went to see Revolutions the first day it came out as well. Yeah. And I remember following Reloaded, there was this confusion surrounding the film. Like, no one was quite sure what to think about it. And everybody was still in a process, well, still processing what they had seen. Yeah. But I remember leaving and I was like, yeah, that was good, but I'm not too sure what it was about. No. Watching The Matrix for the first time, I think 1999 it came out. Yeah. I remember I was quite young. Yeah. When I did see it, when I was like 13, I, I thought, I got the character's journey. I understood what happened with the characters. I, I felt some kind of emotional connection to Neo in some way, in the appropriate way, that the directors clearly wanted me to feel. But... Any kind of confusion I had was just surrounding the world itself. And it was more so, oh, I want to know more about the history of this world. It feels like a place with history and I want to know more about it. With the sequel, I remember leaving the cinema and thinking, I don't know what actually happened to the main character in that film. No, no. Uh, I couldn't follow it. I think we especially were in a very unique position because we were around in that interim period in between the release of Reloaded and Revolutions where I vividly remember, I think I was in the the common room or something like that, and I was just talking about it and going, oh, yeah, yeah, well, the third one might be better. Foolishly not even thinking about the fact that they'd made these films at the same time. So, oh yeah, of course they're going to have the same issues. Yeah. But at the same time, you're in that kind of optimistic mood. It's like, yeah, well, the the third one might might bring it together yeah 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 yeah. i mean there were some film forums because i used to post on them back then Uh, obviously there were plenty of forums all over the place imdb message boards and whatnot but back then even people talking on message boards it was like people posting essays to each other it's not in the same way now (laughs) in which everything's so emotionally charged Mm. and if you don't love something you have to hate it yeah back then at least there was a space for this in-between world and uh, for me i'd say that's where these films occupy for me is that in-between world there are definitely disappointing aspects to them but there are still things that i still very much appreciate in terms of the story ideas that they challenge it's strange now watching them again because when they first came out they felt so radical and strange and new these films they do feel quite old school now yeah they do like the way that these kind of films were done it's like yeah we kind of need to get back to this yeah this kind of hybridness things are clearly models and it's shot on film and you've got real stunts going on real makeup yes and it's yeah, like definitely it was a nice balance mm-hmm. there's kind of a period of time where you they struck a balance between all these elements so yeah in terms of the filmmaking side i can't really i'd say beyond like stuff like the burly brawl yeah, the things that don't work are actually more problems in the writing side, really. Because I feel like yeah. the Burly Brawl suffers because it's even got the title, the Burly Brawl. It's a thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing to see rather than it actually genuinely. It's a happening in the yeah. film, essentially. Yeah, it's a scene that happens in the film. So, what were your initial reactions to seeing? Because we've talked about coming out of the Matrix Reloaded and how we all felt then. What were your reactions coming out of the Matrix Revolutions? I think it was even worse, wasn't it? It was like, oh. Because everyone was kind of hopeful. 
that the third film was going to save the trilogy. Yeah. And that we just look at the Reloaded as being that awkward middle one. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it let the side down even further. And yeah, you, if you look at the, the ratings that the films have yes, got, yeah. you can see that. I feel like once the third one came out, the Matrix thing was done. Yes. It was done. Yeah. It almost like killed itself. Because mm-hmm. when you look at the numbers as well, like just in terms of the box office, when you compare Reloaded with Revolutions, there's a huge difference. Yes. Um, yeah. I think it went from something like $750 million yeah. worldwide to 430 yeah. or something like that. Actually, an interesting comparison would be to compare Batman v Superman with Justice League. It's a similar yes. kind of yeah, situation, really. And yeah, it's a massive drop off. In that interim period, obviously some people were hopeful, some people were turned off by Reloaded and didn't yeah. come back. But then, yeah, the people that did go back to see Revolutions were, I think, on the whole, very let down and underwhelmed by it. Yeah. Well, Revolutions had a lot to prove. And in fact, it had the impossible task of actually carrying the baggage over from Reloaded as mm, well. So yeah. it didn't just have to prove itself as its own individual film, but it had to also do the work of Reloaded and the way in which the opinion had changed on that yeah, film yeah. in a very short time between release. Yeah. In hindsight now, its fate had been sealed before it was even released because the problem with making a film like this where it's basically one big long story split in two yeah. is that if the first one alienates then because the second one's so tied to it, it can never stand on its own two feet because it's not an individual story. Yeah, and considering that the release schedule that they had for the film, like we mentioned earlier, Reloaded was released in something like June and this one was released in November, there's no chance for them whatsoever Mm. to readdress the issues, to restructure the film, to do any amount of reshoots. It's more so, oh no, we've done it wrong we've still got to release this film. Yeah. Their hands are already tied. There's nothing they can do. Which you can see straight away that that's almost like the arrogance of it from a studio point of view. Yeah. To think that this was so in the bag. So there is plenty to talk about with the Matrix sequels and how we approach those films. Where do we start? Do we start with the things that went wrong, where they went wrong? Because I don't want to get incredibly bogged down with all of the bad things because we can spend all day talking about it. I also want to talk about some of the good things, but I think it's first we have to address. We have to address why these films did not work for the audience at the time and where they went wrong. And for me, it is a structure thing. It is yeah. fr- it yeah. is approaching the script and the structure of the script because of the decision that's been made to split the film into two to make it essentially drag out what is two hours worth of story into some four-hour-plus film. Yeah. And that, for me, is a huge issue with this film. And also, because of that as well, you have some structural issues where um, characters are in places where they shouldn't be at that time. And scenes are happening that have no relation between characters and what they're doing here, there, and everywhere. And especially this decision to split it up into two films, because we mentioned this beforehand, and I guess we are going to get into it at some point in this episode, but it seems like at some point the decision has been made to turn this into a Lord of the Rings type ensemble for the final film, but just the final film. And it's like, that would make more sense if this was just all one film and all of this action played out together. Mm. But I guess we'll get into that. And um, I guess, yeah, for me, it's the writing. These films are chock full of good ideas. Mm. 
And scene by scene, for everything that I like about the Matrix sequels, there is something holding it back. There is a flaw, a fatal flaw in its programming, yeah. I would say. I feel like for every good scene, there's a bad scene just coming right up. Yeah. It's like that, especially in Reloaded. For every good dialogue scene, there's a bad action sequence yeah. to, to follow it up. It's in the sequences where it fails, like the consistency of the sequences in Reloaded, especially, yeah. and the main problem and the structure of how they've got everything together because the thing that really kills reload is is the first half of the film yeah it's such a a mangled mess of stop startiness and it's trying to build worlds but forgets that it needs to tell a story at the same time yeah the story is essentially dead while the world is being built but at the same time you've got the studio going we need action sequences in this yes yeah the first hour is the worst part of the whole sequels you know there's something gone wrong in the first place when it opens with that trinity action scene that's trying to recapture what the matrix did with its opening scene with trinity and the agents and they try to recreate that again in the matrix reloaded but it's done in such a disjointed way as part of a dream sequence as part of this vision sequence Um, (laughs) and we have no idea what is going on even on an emotional level on a basic level whereas we did in the opening of the matrix and everything felt fresh everything felt new it felt like a great introduction into what we're going to be seeing in this film what is the statement that you take away from that opening to reloaded what intentions is it giving for the rest of that film i don't know what it's trying to say and it's it feels like more of just a retread but a confusing retread yeah there's parts of that action sequence that make me chuckle because i just with those sequel films i'm just going Oh, Reloaded could be... I reckon if you took all the slow-mo out of it, it would be five minutes shorter. Yeah, It kind of gets to that point where, and I feel this is the same with pretty much all the action sequences in Reloaded particularly, that everything's gone off the boil. Mm-hmm. They've cooked it too... It's not even that it's half-baked, it's been baked to fuck. Yeah. So everything's just that little bit too long. Mm-hmm. Like there's that bit where she's falling and they're shooting and it goes on for so fucking long, I'm starting to laugh. Yes, it yeah. makes it look fucking stupid. Where it's like in the original film, they had moments like that, but they were probably because they didn't have the money. Yes, it's one of those yeah. other things where the lack of resources focuses you in, reigns you in. Whereas this, where they basically had unlimited spends, you've got the point where like, do, 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 do. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> you're just sitting there going, it takes you out of it because you're just, like, you're just does, looking yeah. at the scene going, this looks ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's when someone's standing really close to you and you, they won't move. Yeah. It's that kind of uncomfortableness. <laughs> yeah. And in Reloaded in particular and the front end of Reloaded, there's quite a few action sequences that are like that. Yeah. And we were speaking earlier on as well about The Matrix, the first film, and how I mentioned that actually I'm not a big fan of the final shot in that film because i feel like that is the step the fatal flaw in terms of how much of an action hero they make how powerful they make neo yeah um when it actually comes to the sequel they um they they don't know what to do they don't know what to do with this all-powerful being so they essentially sideline him as much as they can for as much action as they can Mm. that's a problem that goes through both films for me Mm. is this idea of they probably only have one film worth of material for Neo's story, but because they're telling this grand character-sprawling epic, they keep having to pad it out. But yeah. Neo's journey actually gets lost in the mayhem. 
because for large portions of the film, it's spent off screen. Yeah. I mean, we have to talk about that freeway chase as well. He spends pretty much the entirety of the freeway chase flying off screen. They don't even cut back to him. It's just like, yeah, I feel like they've kind of looked at sorting the story out for the sequel and then gone, oh shit. Yeah. What have we done to Neo? We can't do anything with him because he's he's been through his hero's journey. This is a problem when you do sequels. Because like a good comparison to make if you're doing sort of where you've done a first film that's a hero's journey and then yeah. you need to build on that. Obviously, Empire Strikes Back is a very good example of mm-hmm. building on that hero's journey. You create a whole new set of parameters for that character. Yeah. And I feel like they do that in Reloaded, but it's all too late. Yeah. So he learns that he's only one of seven and you know Mm -hmm. but he kind of really should have known that earlier on in the film because you've basically got nothing to work with Mm -hmm. you've got a little bit of him dealing with becoming this kind of messiah figure for the you know the zion people but i like all of that yeah i I, I do like the idea that being the one is something that he is grappling with on an emotional level Mm. i like the idea that He's not too sure if he's going to be able to live up to it because although everybody perceives him as being the one, he still feels like just a normal person, especially when he's in the world of Zion and he's just another person out there. That is one of the elements that the film deals with that I like. Mm. And the other one is that it challenges the idea of this one hero's journey. Mm. It challenges it. But like you say, it's it's left until the dying minutes of the film. I'm thinking about it now. I think this is also the issue of... The Wachowskis is writing this film. Yeah. It's a film. It's not two films. The, yeah. the fact that it's two films is bullshit. It's, they made it as one film. It's one continuous story. The moment when you should have learnt this should be at the halfway point. Yes. But I'm putting my filmmaker hat on going, yeah, when I'm writing this, it is at the halfway point. It's just it that is. Yeah, it's, they split this thing in half. So The third act yeah. is, is essentially the last movie. Yeah. There's so many issues regarding this split. Mm-hmm. They butt heads constantly in terms of trying to make it its own thing as well as being half of a movie. Yeah. And again, it's that first hour as well. It was just, just so much maneuvering. Yes, yeah, there is. Trying to get everything into place before the actual story starts. Because I would say the story does not start properly until after the Burley Brawl. Yeah, yeah. And even the Burley Brawl itself, that feels to me like something that's been put together because they have to come up with something for Neo to do. Yeah, it's something for the trailer. (laughs) Well, exactly. And something to talk about on the the making of documentary. And there are parts on a technical level, there are parts of the Burley Brawl that I really like. Mm. It's when they take it just too many steps too far. It yeah. goes too many steps beyond. There is a point in the Burley Brawl to end that action sequence. Yeah. Even if you need to have that in the film to re-establish Agent Smith, which, to be honest, he already has been re-established. Yeah. This is more so just establishing the extent of his powers. But it goes so far beyond doing that, it's much like that opening scene in slow motion. It becomes absurd and hilarious. Yeah. And the weird things they do, going back to the whole stop-starting nature of the action, because... The flow between the dialogue and the action in the original Matrix is so so smooth and fluid, yeah. whereas this is so blocky and stop-starty. It's really weird how they stage all this, because you have Neo having his conversation with the Oracle in this sort of yard, and the Burly Brawl it all takes place in the same place. I don't know, it feels almost like some sort of like 
variety show where literally I have one scene, I'm going out off stage now. Yeah. Like, it feels like a play. And then, oh, Agent Smith walks onto the stage now. <laughs> it does. And it's yeah. bizarre. Enter. It's Agent really Smith. odd. Exit, pursued by a bear. Yeah, it's really odd. It's like some sort of weird cinema stage play. And the thing is as well, it's dealing with a lot of ideas that I like in principle. I mean, we've already spoke about the way in which it approaches Neo's hero's journey and the way in which it challenges that. Like, say, I wish that they did more with it. But there are things that are mentioned in this film, throughout this film, in fact, that I think, oh, God, that's such a great idea where do you go with it why why, why haven't they gone anywhere with it like the idea as well that our whole mythologies and ghost stories and urban legends and things like that are based around programs uh, malfunctioning programs or whenever you hear a story about somebody seeing a ghost that's a program that's uh, manipulating the matrix in some way and so the idea that you've got these programs that are vampires werewolves ghosts that's the only one that they actually take in any direction the idea that some of them can be angels the idea that the architect is a god and yeah. you've got the merovingian who represents the devil as well mm. and and you've got everything with hell there it's like okay so this film is dealing with a lot of kind of religious dressing and interesting ideas but they don't take that any further and i feel like in terms of in the matrix that's a whole new door to open and i wish that they had opened it yeah and the only reason that i don't think they have is because it's too much of a radical departure from what's been previously established but if you think about that first film if you approach that first film, The Matrix, and approach it with the idea of what kind of genre is it. It's like, okay, you've got elements that are sci-fi. You've got elements of horror, body horror. There are things happening to Neo's body on a horrific level. You've got this um, cyberpunk thing. You've also got film noir elements mm. as well, yeah, especially yeah. with the opening and, and the sets and the police and whatnot. But you've also got things like Western elements, the standoff. Yeah, yeah. It's like, there's none of that type of experimentation or risks taken no. with the matrix sequels except just in passing mentions like that i wish that they had you feel like in the original film they've taken all these elements and made a really thick soup with it yeah it's strange as well that they didn't go deeper into that because in the way that they subvert the hero's journey from the matrix they've kind of already gone down that path so why not go down it further yeah because i was thinking as well another thing that may have turned certain people off this film especially after reloaded came out and obviously people knew what the deal with neo was the original matrix is quite a um people talk about the eastern philosophy and it's quite a spiritual film and it's quite a religious film as well whereas the sequels are actually quite anti-religion because they subvert all this stuff yeah and they basically say this is all part of the plan and it's all a fallacy and it's all been programmed to give people hope and morpheus is your believer character and basically the story of the film is constantly bashing his beliefs yeah all throughout well, it's constantly film. challenging yeah. him it's like everything that yeah. you've believed is to be challenged yeah and although it still does end in a way in which it does approach neo as being it does still signify neo as being a messiah type yeah. figure especially in the over-the-top way in which he dies with his arms in a crucifix yeah. like pose it's like okay we get it he, mm. he is a one and he in is techno jesus yeah he, but <laughs> But he is not the one in the way in which it has been prophesied. No, no. I like that. I, I, In fact, I love all of the stuff in which it subverts expectations in terms of what audiences 
wanted to see. It takes away the spirituality from Neo in a way, and it makes his one ship an inevitability. It's like it was always it was gonna happen, it just happened to be you. It was a mathematical equation that it actually ended up being you. There's nothing mm. special about this, and it will happen again. Yeah, and it's a good idea in theory, because obviously they're trying to make him more human again. Yeah. But I just don't feel they really get into it in any kind of meaningful way and that's why yeah morpheus as a character is the most successful in the sequels even though he probably doesn't get as much screen time as he should do his arc is probably the most consistent yes it uh, is in terms of being a believer that's being challenged and then kind of almost having his faith reaffirmed by the end but in a completely in unexpected a different way, way. Yeah. yeah but yeah there's so many of these themes that just get lost yeah neo especially in the third film especially him dealing with the fact that he's only one of seven and stuff it's barely touched upon yeah considering the sort of massive repercussions that it should have at yeah. the end of the second film it just doesn't really well, go that, anywhere that's an issue that i do have with the films as well and that extends as far as what you mentioned previously is with the animatrix and having a lot of the world building and storytelling told off screen in a completely different spin off uh, yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, there are elements of the Animatrix series, especially those that detail the history of the Matrix and how it came to be. There's a couple of absolutely outstanding yeah, short films are, yeah. on there that are, are very effective. And I can't help but think that a lot of this should be in the film. Mm. Because, again, another element that I love about the Matrix sequels in terms of challenging what came before is it posits the idea that the Matrix itself isn't bad there are good programs there are bad programs it presents the idea or at least the animatrix presents the idea that actually this is something that humans brought upon themselves as well Mm. that it was acting in a defensive way and this conflict was an inevitability because of our own actions as well and there's always been an element of that with the previous film with morpheus saying that you know humans blotted out the sky because they thought it would stop them kind of thing and now they live in this perpetual darkness Mm. i am not too keen on the execution but i love the thematics behind it in terms of the sequels and you have this program like like the oracle for instance that we eventually find out the oracle is a program and that she's constantly working on the side of good Mm. and you have this little girl and they have their own like the matrix itself has its own conflicts that it's it's more human than we would want to believe it is yeah and it's almost like finding out that the empire in the star wars films is not all bad is not all yeah, bad yeah. i mean that doesn't quite work for those films because yeah. they're nazis but it's like finding out that there are humans underneath these stormtrooper masks yeah as soon as you start getting into gray areas which are obviously arguably a lot more interesting you are inevitably going to get some sort of fall off because human beings for the majority are much better at dealing with absolutes yeah where things are very clearly defined because obviously in the matrix things are very clearly defined but then Mm -hmm. when you start getting into the gray areas which the sequels deal with people are going to be a lot less receptive to that yeah obviously you're going to get people who are interested and on board but then other people are going to be they're going to feel betrayed by that and like i say not like the execution's really good or anything but like the kind of ideas i feel like part of the reason for that drop off between reloaded and 
revolutions i imagine is partly because of that especially the architect yes, scene because yeah. i remember the architect scene was so lampooned at the time everyone remembers the the, the mtv in, awards i would actually go as far to say Vis-a-vis. i would probably say that that will ferrell mtv that's it yeah. sketch is probably more remembered than the actual <laughs> yeah. scene now um, if you watch the scene objectively and, and you just and you're paying attention it makes a lot of sense it does but i yeah. feel if you're sort of a popcorn yeah. person it's gonna just sound like gobbledygook yeah yeah absolutely right which and is I, what people lampooned it for that scene as well it's not something that has happened by accident It's the way in which the character delivers all of this information isn't something that is it's not an accident that he's almost speaking in this absurd hilarious manner this theatrical mm. manner it's part of the machine itself the construct yeah, yeah. the programming of the architect yeah i've always thought that there's a certain quirkiness to it my issue with it is that when you strip it back of all that it's still something of an info dump yeah and yeah, that's the main th- problem with th- it th- yeah there's still a better way to deliver this information even with that character in that manner but in a way that's more exciting and relevant to the ongoing story kind mm. of thing because it does feel like everything just stops for this moment it's meant to be the climax of the film and it's just like a yeah. long info dump that's got some interesting shots in it. I do like when it keeps going through the mm. screens and kind of to make the audience go, oh, which version are we even looking at it now? Yeah, yeah. It's and like, it approaches the idea of choice being a construct yeah. in itself that, again, another thing I like about this film is the way it approaches the forms of control and that this Zion itself is a form of control. This idea of building the rebellion is just another layer of the matrix mm. form of control over us and then again it, that raises theories that have been online as well that you even mentioned before the podcast is is zion is the real world what we think the real world just another layer in this very deep simulation yeah that feels like it's a well that's completely untapped i think that's a really frustrating thing about these films is that if they'd given them a bit more time yeah to sort out all these issues and also if they hadn't made these films back to back yeah, they could have sorted some of these issues out, and maybe even done more films, because there's so much potential. Yeah, in this world that I feel was a bit wasted in quite a few areas. There's so many things that do work, and I said there's some really good dialogue scenes that are almost on par with the original, but they go on a bit too long. Yes, yeah, they're just really indulgent. They just needed a bit of like trimming it. Again, it's like everything feels like it's just a few drafts away. Yeah. Well, that's it. The Matrix is a film that was, on a script level, honed over many years. They had to make another film had, in the yeah, middle. They, to they make... had to make Bound yeah. to prove that they could make <laughs> films. So they were still writing it and still... And then all of a sudden, that's a success. And it's that second album syndrome where they suddenly got to rush something out to meet the demands of the yeah. studio yeah. and the audiences because they can't wait too long or everybody will turn off and go yeah, away. Yeah. And it hurts this film it, because we're approaching these sequels as being one film. It really does hurt it. Yeah. Because... I get the feeling over the entirety of the franchise that there is an artistic vision behind this film. There is a big picture idea, and that is woven throughout. I get the feeling that Wachowskis knew what they were doing, and this was always part of the plan in terms of big picture. But the way in which that has been executed and written and structured, they've not had the time to realize what parts of that needed more work than others, what elements had the most potential and what they could have cut away. Yeah, And it's all part of this rushed production feeling that I get from the film as well, that they've just taken on way too much. Yeah, because I hadn't seen some of the um, sizzle reel documentaries that came with this for a long time. It's the first documentary 
when you get Joel Silver talking about the grand plan and everything, and it's just within that moment you just go, yeah. oh no, this is this is why everything kind of stems back to him, really. Just thinking about it on a timeline, because obviously there's like four years in between the sequels and the original, but in terms of actual time, I imagine that they would have been asked to do these sequels almost immediately after yeah. the first one blew up. It's one of those films that's kind of a slow burner, wasn't it? Kind of came out and then just kept going and going and going. Yes, yeah. If we look at the uh, box office for the first film, it had an overall box office of uh, four hundred and sixty-three million dollars mm. worldwide. Domestically, it made one hundred and seventy-one million dollars, but its opening weekend was only twenty-eight million dollars. Yeah. So it was more so just the word of mouth just yeah. kept that film going. Yeah, and it going was a real and going. slow burner one. <laughs> it was what dark, you would call a, the greatest showman. <laughs> yeah, it, well, yeah, it is. Jesus, this isn't what cinema's come to. I know. When we yeah, compared it to that. But I'm thinking maybe three to six months after release, they're getting the call to say, right, we want to do the sequels to this film. Yeah. But then when you look at in the documentary when they talk about the time frames, they're saying a year to make the film and then a year in post production. So if we're rolling back from June two thousand and three, we're going summer two thousand and one when they're actually making the film. Yeah. So that's not a lot of time to plan and prep a massive film, considering yeah, I'd imagine it'd be at least I'm trying to think when the original Matrix came. Was it a summer movie? Um, I don't have the date of when it came out. I just know it was 99, well, I'm considering wasn't it? I reckon it's going to be at least 2000 when they're actually even asked to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got like 18 months to write and prep. It's just too short a time no. for two films. No. Considering uh, they had, I think they, for the original film, they, it was about four years or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there are issues with these films that just even on like a fundamental level and most of the issues come from like this fundamental base level the structure and whatnot but it's things like they forget to give us a visual reference of what the sentinels are doing and the sheer numbers until i wrote down that it's an hour and 38 minutes into reloaded before we see the sentinels and their sheer numbers and the vastness of them all we've seen earlier is people just talk about them as an audience you need that visual of oh my gosh holy shit but again, that's something that they just don't do in this film because they assume that you've seen the Animatrix. And now it makes rewatching the film yeah. jarring. Going back to that documentary when you see Joel Silver just talking about all this multi-platform storytelling yeah. that they're doing, and I'm just like, this is the root of the issue because, yeah, it's money. It's money. Yeah, for the Wachowski, it's like, oh, this is a cool artistic thing. But for Joel Silver, it's basically yeah. this is money, 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 lots of different things going yeah. on. And it's just like, oh, God, this is what's happened. And this is why ultimately the films can't stand up on their own because they're almost like intentionally being bolstered by these other things, yeah. which are good in themselves, but the attention should have really been put on the film. Yeah, making the film. Because I don't mind the Animatrix so much because that's its own thing and it works really well and it was made yeah, by other yeah. people, but I feel like them doing the video games well. Mm-hmm. With all stuff. of the live action stuff yeah, that's in just, the video they, game. They should have shut that shit Be- out because immediately. That's instantly dated now nobody yeah. is going to be playing enter the matrix no. <laughs> i mean i know that this phrase as goes further beyond this and it's one of those kind of things that people always misquote but this does strike me as being a jack of all trades but a master of none yeah it's trying to do everything it's got too many plates spinning in the air but some of them aren't even plates <laughs> you know that's the issue that we're having yeah. here it's trying to do too much across too many different mediums. Mm. We've talked a lot about Reloaded, and I want to talk with some specificity about some of Revolutions as well. 
there's one thing that I have always appreciated about revolutions, but I feel like this encapsulates everything that went wrong and everything that goes right with this series, yeah. with these two sequels. And I wrote down this two-page mini essay, really, when I was watching the film. And I, I just want to read it out here. And it's really concerning the Battle of Zion. Yeah. And yeah. rewatching it, I was actually surprised by how much I really like the Battle of Zion. I wrote, The Battle for Zion is easily one of my favorite large-scale battles committed to film in terms of structure, objective clarity, and visuals. Disregarding a handful of later scenes involving that kid in the mech suit, because I do feel like they get to be quite rushed Yeah, yeah. in terms of execution. But each cut between the characters and their actions is deliberate and effective. The actions of one character has visual repercussions for the survival and circumstances of another. It ensures that despite the onslaught, the audience perspective is never lost in the, in the chaos, nor are the character objectives. For me, it is a clear rival to Helm's Deep, which comes from The Two Towers and was released around the same time, I think. Yeah, six months before. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. But as well plotted and visually arrested and marvelously executed a scene it is, like most things in these Matrix sequels, there is a fatal flaw in its programming. One that almost brings down the entire sequence entirely. And that is that for a near half hour sequence in the final film in a series, the actions of this battle have absolutely no impact on the hero's journey whatsoever. Therefore, a large portion of the film is spent away from its central character, Neo, robbing the final moments of his journey any emotional depth or gravitas necessary to make an audience care. I know Return of the Jedi takes Luke out of that Death Star battle, but at least his actions and the actions of his elsewhere engaged supporting characters have impact on each other their fates are linked despite being separated by thousands of miles despite all this i would say that the battle for zion just about works the thing that is the saving grace for it is that i still care about morpheus i still care about a couple of the characters involved in this journey and the wachowskis have at least gone out of their way to make me care about these minor characters but like i say it's just almost completely undercut by the fact that None of this really matters. Yeah. I think I have more issues with it than you because th there's several fatal storytelling errors that they make with it. The whole sequel's saga is very blocky anyway, but mm -hmm. there's not much sort of intercutting between different places. It sort of almost like focuses wholeheartedly on a, on a section and then moves on to the next section. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a period of either 27 to 28 minutes of your finale where we don't cut back to Neo at all yeah. in any way. And also to double down on that, the Battle of Zion kind of concerns Morpheus, but on a peripheral level, they're racing to the battle yeah, and they only get there right at the end. They do intercut with that, but it feels very far removed. So we've got a situation where we have this huge battle which concerns none of our three main trio of characters, i.e. our established characters from yeah. the first film, which obviously is the, they should be the main focus of these sequels, but they're not for some weird reason. Mm -hmm. And the film really gets bogged down in all these minor characters. They're not that well fleshed out. They weren't very no, well fleshed no, out in yeah. Reloaded because, yeah, it decides that it wants to be this big ensemble in the third film and doesn't... It kind of sets it up a yeah, little bit in Reloaded. Yeah, But because work. it's been done so clumsily in Reloaded, I, I, you kind of don't care as much. Yeah. There is no one to care about. No. So you're always just watching stuff happen. 
despite yeah. how well executed it is and despite how much I appreciate how structured it is, I'm always just watching stuff yeah. happen. And there's no other stakes than within itself. Yes. And there is a fix to this. And it's to have Neo enter the Matrix to that be part of the ticking clock. And it's to have him enter the Matrix to confront Smith yeah. during this happening. Yeah. So that the actions of what's happening in Zion and what's happening with Neo and Agent Smith are more closely yeah, tied. Yeah, because all you would need to do is have Neo speak to the, do a machino, what they call it, yeah, the hand yeah. of God. Yeah. They strike a deal, which is kind of what it is in the film, but not quite because it's already happened. Neo wants peace, but it would be the easiest thing just to have, okay, you can have peace as long as you defeat Smith. So it would be the element of them battling a Zion and intercutting between the two of Neo battling Smith. And it really increases the stakes where Neo's got to defeat Smith, otherwise this won't stop. Yeah. And the fact that they treat these two set pieces as two completely different parts of the film that are separated by some fair distance. There's a good 10 minutes in between yes. yeah. each sequence. Separating them out makes them become less. Yeah. Whereas if they put them together, mm-hmm. they could have been so much more. And the battle for Zion's so big, but it occurs right in the middle of the movie mm-hmm. that by the time you get to the Smith, oh yeah, it completely robs Neo that. battle. It feels so like tacked on and I, an afterthought and anticlimactic. I wrote here that the Neo versus Smith battle is completely overshadowed by both the Burly Brawl and the Battle for yeah. Zion. I wonder if there's a fan edit somewhere that someone's intercut these two things together yeah, and, I, and done it. Yeah. If not, let's do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would work so much better. I just think it's very much like that um, Superman Returns plane sequence where yes, it's such yeah. a big sequence and it's so impressive and it's a really great sequence. It's probably the best thing in the whole film. It's the peak of that film. It's in the first 45, 50 minutes of, yeah. the, of a two and a half hour film. And nothing ever builds up to They it. never recapture no. that kind of magic. It's not quite as bad as that within this film because it starts on the hour mark, I think. So you've got another half an hour after mm-hmm. that where it should have been shifted up. This film should have been one film. It should, should have, been, have, yeah. Should have been one, two and a half hour, three hour film. Even dealing with this film in terms of what happens, even ending it at the same place with Neo supposedly being dead, Trinity being dead, but there being this kind of, I'd say, tenuous truce yeah, between it's like men. Yeah, like isn't yeah. it? Yeah. There's space to make a third film after oh, yeah. that. Yeah. It's like, I actually feel like there's more promise mm. for a film following that if what are the Matrix sequels have been condensed to one cohesive experience kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like one thing that we do have to mention is Agent Smith. We spoke about him before we started recording the episode. And Agent Smith is a huge part of these sequels in terms of um, they pretty much placed him front and center. He was an iconic character in The Matrix, but I almost feel like what happened with that character in terms of how he became this um, meme, almost, how that character captured the zeitgeist. Yeah, because I would actually have to say he is and he isn't. He kind of feels very tacked on. Well, I'm just talking in terms of how they marked oh, yeah, these films. Yeah, yeah. It's like they placed him front and center this became yeah almost as much about neo as it is agent smith but actually in the films themselves like you say he does feel tacked on and he's hardly in it yeah yeah if you look at the um just the marketing like in terms of the artwork obviously the first two films focus very much on the trio yeah and then the last film really focuses on that neo smith confrontation mm-hmm. which 
is completely robbed of all its gravitas by the end. Yeah. It just feels like an obligation at the end of the day. Yeah, it does, yeah. Because of all this other stuff's gone on and the fact that, yeah, the two characters that it focuses on have been so sidelined and underdeveloped through the course of the two films that, yeah, when it gets to that point, you're just going... Looking at it now, I remember that sequence feeling longer than it was. Mm -hmm. And looking at it now, it's not that long, especially when you compare it to man of steel and stuff like that yeah the end fight between neo and agent smith i know that in terms of grandeur the burly brawl overshadows it but i actually think that the fight between smith and neo at the very end of revolutions is far more effective because it knows when to stop yeah but at the same time it's still nowhere near as good as the one at the end of the original matrix oh god no no oh oh, oh, no which is much smaller yeah yeah and in one little you know it's in a station yeah that's it it's in a station it, there's much more at stake there's, there's, yeah there's so much, much more, more at stake and it feels a little bit more grounded as well you get an idea of what the limits of the matrix are but i guess these are characters that are completely unbound by the limits of the matrix by that point so yeah, they have to yeah. do something big it turns into dragon ball z yeah because there's some shots in there and it's like there's some things that are really cool i love the way that the water moves around yes yeah they but do a lot there's of other things like that. there's some like odd decisions that they make as well like there's some really like long distance shots where they're just sort of flaming about and it has yes. this big operatic music and I'm just like, this looks f- pathetic. These all powerful beings. It's supposed to be yeah. the peak of the Matrix so you can manipulate it to the whim at any touch. And they're essentially just kind of grappling each yeah. other in midair. Because there's other things where they've created problems for themselves. Like the whole idea that Smith has infected the whole of the Matrix and basically every person now in the Matrix is a Smith. And yet he fights one <laughs> at yeah. the end. is He fights the Oracle. Because they've already done the Burly Brawl. Yeah. Why did they have that burly brawl there when they could have had it at the end? Yeah. If you're going to do it that, then why not have it at the end? Because mm-hmm. it makes so much more sense. They try and make him more of sort of like an oracle figure. I was like, I've seen this. There needs to be one of me. I do like the setup and payoff for that, though. The idea that yeah. the, or- the oracle says that she can only see as far as a decision she doesn't comprehend. Yeah. And that's the thing that stops Agent Smith from seeing what's going to happen after he assimilates... Yeah. Neo is because yeah. he can't understand why he would sacrifice himself for love because Agent Smith doesn't understand love. He's no. a hateful figure. He hates everything. Oh, there are some good ideas. There are, terms, there but are, but they're kind of just lost, lost in this kind yeah. of weird mishmash of like incomprehensibility and sort of stum. Yeah. Where you're just constantly taking out the film going, why is it like this? Yeah. Why have they done that? The biggest missed opportunity for me, and we again, we spoke about this beforehand, some of it is more so in the execution. I love the idea of encasing Agent Smith, a man who hates the human race, in a meat suit. That he assimilates somebody who then jumps back into the uh, the real world. And I love the idea that, oh god, this character Bane is Smith. And it weirdly <laughs> deals with things like identity as well. Yeah, like Because yeah. um, he, he now sees himself in, in a body in which he, he hates, and he ends up resorting to self-harm and he's corrupted even further by that by this yeah and it's like oh that actually approaches ideas of gender identity and stuff but they don't do enough with it and it's so badly executed there's so many problems with that bane's character the main problem is that the filmmakers or somebody has decided to signpost this for the audience yeah well well in advance of needing to be to the point where it just makes the main characters look so fucking stupid mm-hmm. to not even question yeah. that there's something up with this guy. Because he's basically doing an impression of Hugo Weaving as Smith throughout most of his screen time, especially yeah. when they're interviewing him. 
mm-hmm. and you're just going, what the fuck is going yeah. on? Because it's just so fucking obvious. Mm-hmm. And also what it does, it dwindles the credibility of that characterization mm-hmm. because it looks like they're making fun of it yeah. as well at the same time because it's so stupid. And it's one of those things that says such an easy fix as well. All you need to do is just have him act like Baines yeah. at the start and keep him doing like that and make him do some weird stuff, mm-hmm. but just lose that characterization until yeah. it's important, until he has to confront Neo at the end yeah. of that part of the story and have it be a mystery for the audience as well as the characters. And then you're fine. And the other thing as well is that a lot of the stuff he does is off screen. And that's not even like um, approached in the Animatrix or anything like that. No. That's just something that happens off screen. Yeah. And I feel like the potential there for that character is outstanding, especially like mm. to tell something, because I do feel like it's a character with thematic depth, like I say, approaching things like dysmorphia, you know, the idea of hating the body that you're in. Yeah. Like, that's fantastic for this film. And also doing a reversal of waking up in this world. It's essentially like us being jacked into the Matrix. This character, this program is now jacked into the real world. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, you're approaching that as well, flipping it on its head. But you're such a peripheral character. And it's don't... squandered. Yeah. It's like, I almost feel like that's where the main confrontation is. I feel there's like a, an issue in casting there. I always got the feeling, especially when it came out, that you actually probably needed somebody recognisable like a star or yeah. somebody well-known in that role to sort of signpost it in a better way because obviously the actor who's playing that part is not well-known. They almost thought we have to signpost this to make him stand out. He was whereas, cast because of his uh, impression of Agent Smith. Yeah. Uh, he was whereas, cast on just on the basis whereas of Whereas I feel if they got somebody who was a bit more well-known mm-hmm. uh, in that part, it automatically flags to the audience, oh, this is a important character. Yeah. Therefore, we don't need to do anything with him until... And it's such an interesting idea as well. It really I is, I thought yeah. they were going to do more with it as well. It's just... Ah, it's really frustrating. Yeah. I think the other thing as well, this sums up the films in a, in a nutshell as well, that we've talked about this a lot and we've not really talked about the main three that much because they're not in the films that much. No, no, they're not. Which is bizarre. In this four hours plus film... I'd say their combined screen time probably is little more. It's probably not even two hours of it. No, no, I, I, less I, than yeah, half. I would agree. And there are some great scenes as well that really work. I mean, we were talking about Trinity. Although I think I agree with you that she was a mishandled character in the second film, but in the third film, it's like I really buy Trinity and Neo's relationship, especially in a death scene. It's like wow, that that scene has a lot of impact. That scene really works. Yeah. But she's only in like three scenes, exactly three sequences. Yeah. In the whole film? Again, it does feel like they've suddenly taken inspiration from Lord of the Rings. Mm. Decided that let's take elements of that fantasy novel-esque feeling of this and bridge it into this ensemble piece. But that, I don't feel like, was part of the plan. No. I feel like what they do with Neo's journey was part of the plan, but this idea of actually making it this all-encompassing ensemble came later, much later, when they realised that they didn't have enough to fit two films. Yeah, there's another part of me as well. Because they focus on on Zion mm-hmm. and outside of the Matrix more so than within the Matrix. Yeah. I think a lot of the things that put people off when they saw these as well, it's like, is this what people wanted to see? Yeah. Yeah, I understand, yeah, you need to broaden the world and they did do that, not in the best way. I feel like that first hour really kills it in terms does, of the yeah. world building as well. But is this what people wanted to see? Yeah. And then that's the fundamental question. It feels 
at times so far removed from what people liked about that film. Yeah. You're always going to have that conundrum when you're making a sequel to a really successful film is like, how much do you make it like the, uh, the other one? And I think that's why, in hindsight, people tend to be a little easier on Reloaded when, in fact, Revolutions is probably a better watch than Reloaded. I, I, I think so. But yeah. I feel that's probably part of the issue because Reloaded is a little bit more like yeah. the original film than Revolutions is. It's weird as well, considering that Revolutions, I know we speak about Neo being missing for the entire Battle of Zion, but also for the first half an hour he's stuck in limbo as well doing nothing while other characters are doing things for yeah. him he has the least to do with that but it also feels like the most um it's got the easiest through line it's just that you feel like most of neo's growing and changing has already occurred in reloaded yeah the thing is as well like the question that that reloaded leaves us with as regarding neo is that all of a sudden he has these special abilities within the real world mm. or what we perceive as being the real world that's never answered in this film no or him seeing in gold code as no, well in the no. real world all of that is left completely untapped which again makes me feel like this is a second film of a trilogy yeah that was never made i don't know whether there's any writing on this but it does feel like they set out to write a sequel to the matrix and then somewhere along the line we're told that this is going to be two films yeah this pact at the end the pact between uh, humans and the matrix that feels tenuous because it also does have the element of being tacked on a little bit just to give it some finality but I still feel like there's more story to tell. There's mm. plenty more story to tell. Yeah. In regards to Keanu Reeves, obviously he kind of puts a brave face on it on when it comes to all the documentaries and things like that. Yeah. But there is a clear difference in his performance from the original Matrix mm-hmm. to the sequels. You just get that feeling that he's not really invested in it like he's really doubled down on that minimal acting yeah uh, thing to the point where even at the end the filmmakers are like you can't even do subtle eye acting we're gonna get rid of your eyes because because well, <laughs> we've got to make you upset <laughs> uh, so we're just gonna get rid of that equation and just have you go <laughs> i feel like they put him through a ringer in terms of the revelations in the film like that revelation as well that there are plenty of other ones and that a prophecy is a lie and all of this yeah, blah yeah. blah blah that's a great revelation, but I think even on a writing level, they never deal with it emotionally. Yeah, Keanu Reeves is never given the opportunity to deal with that on an emotional level. Yeah. The only person who comes close to is Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. Yeah, I think that's part of the issue with Neo is just, like I say, again, understanding that they had all these plot beats for him, but they in the execution, they botched it. Yeah. Okay, so I think this is as good a time as any. I mean, I've got a thousand pages worth of notes here that I barely touched upon, but There's so much we could spend <laughs> all day talking about this. But I think for the point of the audience and my editing time, let us <laughs> get back to the main questions. Yeah. And the questions that I ask at the end of every episode is... Um, so I think the main question is, well, which Monica Bellucci dress do you prefer from Matrix 2 to 3? Oh... Oh, that's... I think I'm going to prefer the third one. Me and Jess were talking about it yesterday. We we're like, well, the one she wears in the second film is kind of a bit too busy and frumpy. Yeah. Whereas the, the one in the third one's more streamlined. As an aside. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad we got that out there. <laughs> you know? To be fair, I did have a huge crush on Monica Bellucci following these films. Yeah, but that, I think that's another thing of the film as well. Like, there's so much stuff in this film oh, yeah, well, I just we haven't even talked thing. about the Merovingian yeah because like that. the Monica Bellucci thing I remember at the time was such a big deal was made out of it she's in the film so little yes yeah 
even in terms of the second film, everything to do with the Merovingian and everything to do with the Keykeeper or whatever his name, you yeah. feel like that's all building towards something that's going to pay off in the third film. And it, yeah. and it doesn't really. It's just nope. a scene. It's like they spend so much time setting up these characters and they don't do enough with them. No. They might have too much screen time at times yeah. considering what I they have, add to I the plot. I have no sense of geography in their place in the Matrix world. No, 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 me like, neither. They're just... It just loses me at that point in terms of the way the Matrix is structured is so focused and clear in the original. Yeah. And then when they blow it out in the sequels, I just have no context anymore no, of where no, everything no, no. is. It, 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 loses, it loses its real worldness. Like it no longer feels like it could be happening in the world we inhabit now. Yeah. But even the rules where like you have to get to a phone and stuff, it's so like minimal yes. in the sequels. All the rules they set up in the original are kind of just forgotten about really. it's because neo it's because of, uh, of that final shot in the matrix yeah. they give neo too much power the yeah. matrix the the constructs the walls surrounding him no longer matter anymore yeah. the rules no longer apply and therefore we lose a sense of what the matrix is yeah so yeah. so <laughs> i mean we can talk about this yeah. all day nah. <laughs> but um yeah the first question i have to ask is are we any closer to understanding why the matrix sequels have been forgotten or at least ignored yeah yeah I think that's evident by what we've been speaking about, really. Yeah. Um, it's just that the things that they did do right were too challenging to the audience and they were drowned out by a lot of many things that they did wrong. Yeah, it's cluttered, unfocused, blocky, structurally baffling. There's large parts of the film where, although they're interesting, it's like, did people actually want to see I did. That? I wanted to see plenty in this film. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I just feel like... Almost yeah. every element of the film that's good is kind of squandered in that's some it. way. That's the thing for me, is everything that they do right, there is a flaw that's stopping it from reaching greatness. Yeah, There's a flaw that's stopping it from reaching its potential. And um, I guess in terms of asking the question, should the Matrix sequels be best forgotten or are they best of the forgotten? I struggle with this because from watch <laughs> to watch, I kind of fall. I'm right in the middle, but I, fall and I, I flip-flop yeah. on either side. I've always said that despite their many, many heavy flaws, I will go to bat for the Matrix sequels because of... Um, and I've barely touched upon it in my notes as well in terms of what they do right, in terms of what they approach. I think it's strange as well, speaking about it just very briefly, that the Matrix films have become iconically linked to the men's rights movement, men's rights activists with this whole red pill, blue pill thing. <laughs> Especially considering that the films themselves are about the oppression of the other. Yeah. Like when you look at Zion as well, it's like mostly made up of people of mixed race and mixed identities kind of thing. It's mm. like it is dealing with the oppression of the other. I feel like that's strange that it's become forever linked with that. Mm. And speaking of that, I like a lot of the stuff that the sequels do with approaching those ideas, but they're just kind of left just too too soon too far before they can reach the potential i spoke about it with bane the bane character and it's like god oh, there's something there there's something there to really take that idea and really go with it and it's just left it's just hanging and i think just after this conversation i will have to come on the side of they should be best forgotten but i don't know there's still something about them that i think that they do have some legitimate worth yeah I, if I think you that, can put up with the but, padding but and i think that's the also structural the, issues i think that's also the reason why they've probably been more forgotten now than because um other films of this ilk or films that have followed up big sort of first installments like your pirates of the caribbean sequels and the hobbit trilogy yeah. and stuff like that i feel they've like eclipsed it i think in terms of 
disappointment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think because I've come down so negatively on the films now, I hope that I've put across it, at least at some points, that there are things, like I say, that make it worthy of being watched. I'm still going to just put myself right in the middle, actually, and just say this is the first film in which I'm completely undecided. Mm. Uh, and I'll probably leave it to the audience, but there are things that are worthwhile in this film. It's just that for one reason or another, it never reaches its full potential, yeah. and there's certainly potential there. I'm going to say they're probably best forgotten just because the original matrix film is so self-contained you can just watch that film and yes. be satisfied yeah, that's true you don't need the other that's true. films yeah. to, to make it feel whole so in that respect they don't need to be remembered as such because yeah you can just everything you need is in the original matrix yeah i've gone back to the, the, that first film the matrix so many times yeah. more times than that, i have any yeah, sequel. and that's why that film continues to be uh, highly regarded and, and people go back to it and that's why people don't go back to the sequels yeah. anywhere near as much i still find myself pumping my fist in the air as well when trinity swings away from the helicopter as it hits the side of the plane it's like i'm like fuck yeah that's great that's yeah. great I still find myself just really like cheering the film along. Yeah. And uh, I still get that. And nothing has diminished that for me. It's only, like I say, it's only grown over yeah. the years. My appreciation for that film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I agree with you. I'll go with that. I'll go with that for the purpose of the episode. Yeah. For the purpose of clarity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was our final Best Forgotten Movies episode. And if you join us next week, we'll be leaving behind the Matrix universe and actually traveling to a far darker universe you might say or a far shittier universe <laughs> and it depends on the way that you look at it as we actually are going to be taking on the tom cruise starring 2017 movie the mummy yeah the film that started <laughs> off the dark universe we all know and love so much yeah <laughs> but but until then i've been gareth and i've been andrew thank you for listening thank you